0: Hi, my name is Mark Williman, the host of Supervisory Basics, a 12-episode podcast series that examines how individual contributors can transition to effective leaders. This podcast series is based on the popular Supervisory Basics training program from Impact Achievement Group, a training and performance management consulting company. The Supervisory Basics training program consists of 12 individual yet linked Two-Hour Training Modules, delivered in leader-led or e-learning formats. For more information, go to impactachievement.com, where you can also download lots of great articles on all the topics we discuss in this podcast series. This is Episode 8, and the topic is Handling Performance Problems, Tips and Guidance for New Managers. To discuss today's topic, it is my pleasure to welcome back Rick Tate, Senior Managing Partner at Impact Achievement Group. And an internationally recognized expert on management, leadership development, and customer loyalty. Welcome back, Rick.
1: Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you again.
0: Rick, when it comes to dealing with employee performance problems, what are some common mistakes that new managers make?
1: Well, let's lead off just by putting it in, in, in context. You know, when I I think most people when they have to deal with a performance problem, go into it with With a framing that it it it's not going to be fun and they're not. I mean, you know, I mean, we really don't get up in the morning and say, "God, I can't wait to have a performance problem discussion with somebody." <laughs> um, so just that framing in and of itself of the potential for conflict, the potential for confrontation, we can start off with the number one mistake that I see is that they tend to be put off, avoided. Uh, procrastinated and hopes the issue will go away b- by itself and and we always know that, that that never works out the way it should then when it gets time to have to have one the emotions and the stress and the tension are at a level where our skills even if we have them are are eroded so you know, again, waiting too long to make the intervention, dealing in generalities or character issues and not specific performance behaviors, the lack of clear expectations or performance standards between the boss and the uh, direct report, and then getting taken off track during those discussions into the weeds, so to speak, will also escalate the issue emotionally and personally, and all those things just go to make this uh, process uh, uh, somewhat uh, difficult and and gets in the way of getting the results that we want
0: would you explain what under managing consequences refers to
1: yeah it, from our point of view it, it, it's it 's an interesting kind of uh, word that we use under managing i mean my experience in this business over the years has been that uh, you know we've seen this escalation to uh, be a little more people-oriented managers—the whole thing from participative management to inclusion management to empowerment and all those things—we um, we really believe the epidemic, you know, that we've seen over the last maybe five to six years is people in the workplace that are undermanaged, and managers don't seem to give themselves permission to manage. You know, there's a reason that we have this role of supervision and management. Uh, you are the boss doesn't mean dictatorial, it doesn't mean autocratic, but you are the boss. You have a responsibility to drive performance in the organization, or the organization won't survive. So I think over the years, attempting to become more participating and more relationship-oriented in the way people are managed, we're now at a point where often employees are undermanaged. That is, they lack clear direction and guidance accountability tends to be avoided, excuses excuses, and reasons for lack of acceptable work clutter the per, uh, performance management landscape, and managers are even held hostage by non-performance for fear of grievances or complaints. Uh, the working contract, we believe, requires an acceptable performance, and it's the supervisor or manager's job to ensure that level is delivered. So the manager... Ultimate obligation to the organization is to ensure acceptable performance of direct results. This seems to be gaining loss somewhere along the line. Human behavior, you know, is a function of consequences, and we're seeing a trend where the consequence management is void. This translates into less than desired business results, customers unhappy, quality suffers, cost increase, and the motivation of high performers decreases, and our companies remain competitively disadvantaged. So, you know, other than that, under management's okay.
0: <laughs> so it, it seems obvious, but I want to hear uh, you address this question and, and on why it's important to hold employees accountable for their performance.
1: Well, I, you know, I think at our gut level, everybody goes, yeah, duh, accountability. Mm-hmm. I think what maybe we don't connect the dot with is accountability is the glue. <laughs> it's it's. You know, we see it as okay, you set the expectation, you coach performance, you do it, and then you hold people accountable if, 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 if they don't or accountable if they do. Uh, so we see it kind of as the end game, and, and in reality, it's the glue uh, for any high performance situation in business, in athletics, in education, you name it. I mean, look at how much money we've thrown at, at education in the United States and the results we're getting over the last 20 years. And, and yet, you look at the landscape, and accountability is, is what's missing for students, for teachers, for administrators, uh, or whatever. So, avoiding this critical aspect of that supervisor-manager's responsibility leads to lower production, you know, uh, decreased uh, customer issues, and all kinds of things. So, uh, beyond that, accountability is also what dictates clarity um, of, of expectations, saying I want something done at a required level is one thing. Without accountability, it's only a beneficial suggestion because performance adjusts to the tolerance level, not to what I say I want. So I can tell somebody, here's what I expect. If they give me less and I don't make an intervention or hold them accountable, make them account for that, then the real message is, I didn't really mean what I said. I'll settle for something else, and that can have profound negative consequences in an organizational culture.
0: Yeah. What is the DESC intervention model that you and Julie often uh, write about and speak about?
1: Well, like I say, p- people don't. They tend to avoid these kind of, of interventions, these difficult conversations that talk about performance that is lacking on the part of another individual so that requires again we don't believe people are ever going to really like to do this but at least i can do it if i have a skill that allows me to do it in a way that it doesn't cause more damage beyond what the performance problem is. So the DESC model is just a framework for having an effective performance conversation with an employee that is allowing the manager to maintain control over these types of situations during the discussion while turning the uh, performance around. And so the framework is just this. D stands for describe, describe the situation, describe the performance. And what we mean by that is what is the gap between the present performance and what is acceptable. Then E is, in the next part of the conversation, describe the effect, and that is here's the gap in order to legitimize this gap and not just being a bias on the part of the manager supervisor, the effect is what effect is it having on the business results, on customers, on coworkers, on qua- cost, on quality, on uh, sales, whatever it happens to be. So there's a, it legitimizes the reason for talking about it. The S part is just state the future expectation that what you require and in that process explore then from, The employee's point of view, an action plan for getting there. And then C is, to sum up the conversation, uh, is the make sure that the employee understands at the end of any performance problem conversation the consequences. The consequences for doing it right and the consequences for ignoring it and continuing to allow the problem uh, to occur – and these aren't necessarily formal consequences. Some people might react to that. They can be something as simple as, as if we turn this around, we won't have to have these kind of discussions anymore. But it's, it, it's just this framework that allows me to go into it with a game plan, so I'm not just reacting emotional during these uh, difficult situations.
0: Yeah, Rick, one more question. Uh, what is the difference between a good I statement and a disguised I statement? And give some examples.
1: An I statement is a skill that, 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 we, that we teach, and it's, it's been in the you know, literature for years. Uh, it's speaking for myself. And in a performance conversation, I statements in which the supervisor or manager uh, uh, speaks for himself uh, continues to give the credibility and the leverage. Uh, to the manager. So it's it's away from using we think and don't you think and all this kind of general type of stuff. And uh, I statements just simply uh, state uh, what the manager expects, how the manager might feel about the situation, and how they assess the situation. So an example, I'm disappointed that we're having this discussion for the second time. I need you to be to work on time every day, and I want to hear from you specifically how you're going to make that happen. Speaking for myself allows me to maintain focus, and it eliminates anybody arguing. I mean, it's hard for an employee to, to tell me, no, you're not disappointed, because I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. It's hard for them to tell me, no, I don't need you to have me to work on time. So it eliminates the, the thing going off track. So effective I-statements they, they do that, they also avoid personal characteristics, motives, or, or intentions, and this is where these things go south. Uh, for instance, an I statement contrasted with a you statement. A you statement would be, you don't seem to care about how well your work gets done. Well, right there, I've lost control of the argument, because the person can defend that. Yes, I care, and I don't know whether they care or don't care. I'll never know, so when I'm talking about characteristic, a person's motive, or a person's intention – I'm guessing. And an I statement keeps me away from that. Now, a disguised I statement could be, I don't think you care. (laughs) That's nothing more than a disguised you statement by throwing an I in front of it. A true I statement never talks about motive, intention, or personal characteristics. Uh, It simply stays with the facts of the situation about the performance gap and doesn't try to assume the reasons why somebody does something. It legitimizes the power, keeps control of the situation, and prevents the emotion and resistance from uh, escalating that can happen easily in these kind of conversations.
0: Yeah, it's great information as always. Rick, thanks so much for sharing your time today.
1: Uh, Thanks again for having us here.
0: For more information on this topic, the Impact Achievement Group, or the Supervisory Basics Series, visit impactachievement.com. And remember, all of our podcast episodes are available for download on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store, search for Supervisory Basics Podcast, and subscribe to the free series. And join us next month for episode number nine, where we'll discuss supervising difficult direct reports. See you then.